One of my most treasured childhood memories regarding my paternal grandfather is when I would be with him, just the two of us, in the garden behind his house. There was a little ditch behind the house and his garden was on the other side. Uh, My cousin, Gail Pettis, and her husband, and I think her husband's related to Andy Pettis, I think, who plays in our orchestra and teaches at AU now. Their house was back there, and so my grandfather had a large garden after he retired. And so I would um, just be back there with him by myself. That's not original picture. That's not us, but just something like that. But we would walk through the rows, looking over the plants, and when it was time to gather the right vegetables, he would let me help. Sometimes we'd stop right there in the garden and uh, eat raw radishes, right? Or he'd pull up a turnip uh, plant and peel the top layer off, and we'd sit there and uh, eat turnips uh, out in the garden. I know that probably nauseates some of you. (laughs) But that's what we did. Just up the street, uh, we lived just about a block away. We also had a very large garden that my dad grew. And um, I remember picking and shelling peas or breaking beans on the back porch in hot Alabama summertime. And those are just simple and good times that marked my mind, my memory from my childhood. It was always amazing to me, and still is, how we could place small seeds in the ground and then in just a few months be eating or canning what those seeds produced. First time I ever drove through uh, the Midwest, uh, one bad memory is I got a ticket early one morning in Nebraska and had to drive back about 30 miles, and the state trooper had to watch me write out my check and drop it in a mailbox. That was a great experience. And... uh, But the good thing, when I drove through those vast fields of uh, Iowa and Kansas, just beautiful to see what tiny seeds could produce in those massive cornfields and wheat fields as far as the eye could see. Jesus told many stories in his ministry, and some of those were for illustrative purposes. Some of them were to convey truth to those to whom he wished to convey truth, or even to shield truth, it seems, in the one we're going to look at today. The scripture calls some of these stories parables. And many books have been written on the parables, how to interpret them, what was being taught. The word parable means to cast alongside. Often it's talking about an analogy of something used as an analogy to teach a lesson. But the parables sometimes use other things than analogies, and I don't have time to delve into all the intricacies of parables today, but The one we're looking at today really does use this idea of an analogy, of a seed being used to teach something. And so this is one of Jesus' most famous parables. And you know, this is a parable that I think we should visit often in our minds to gain perspective on the world, on our nation, on our neighbors, or about our neighbors, and about ourselves. I don't know how you live your Christian life, but this world is often an upsetting place. It's a disturbing place. And so for me, learning to preach the truth to myself, I draw upon sometimes the big picture issues to help me regain my perspective, to help settle my heart, to help me keep on being and doing what I'm supposed to be and do. And in a week in which we witnessed horrible evil on a large scale, evil of the sort that raises questions about both the present And the future, this is a parable we need. So this week we have lived through the attack in Manchester and the bombing, killing over 20 people there and wounding almost 60 people. And overshadowed by that, though, is what took place again in Egypt this week, where gunmen in the eve of Ramadan attacked a bus going to a monastery carrying Coptic Christians and shot the bus up, and they killed... um, 28 Coptic Christians in Egypt this week, and some of them were as young as two small girls, two and four years of age, and that kind of got buried in the midst of all the other news about England this week. So to me, I think this is a parable that we need to think about, we need to visit. So I've entitled the message today, Ultimate Seeds, 
And you'll find the text in what we read for our scriptural call to worship. And I went ahead and read it for our scriptural call to worship because it's a long passage. And so just to try to save a little time today, we're going to look at this passage we've already read in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower. When we come to this moment in Jesus' earthly life, the conflict with the religious leaders who were threatened by him is beginning to intensify. And it'll only grow worse and will lead to his arrest and crucifixion. You notice in chapter 13, verse 2, it says that such large crowds gathered around him. So Jesus here is at the peak of his influence, and large crowds are following him. And so he is eclipsing the religious leadership of Israel in their minds. They're jealous of him, they're fearful of him, and so they are plotting to stop him, plotting to destroy him. And so that's where the conflict is. And so here, as he did at another time earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, um, well, not on the Sermon on the Mount, but another time where he taught, he launches out into a boat to teach them. Maybe it's Peter's boat again. And the people gather on the shore. And in this particular place in the Sea of Galilee, where they believe this took place, on the shore it kind of slopes up and it sort of forms a natural amphitheater for this large crowd to have gathered And uh, Israeli researchers, I have read, have actually researched the acoustics from the water there to see that a large crowd could have heard his voice well from the boat. And so Jesus is launching out there, a large crowd is there, and he is teaching them in this parable. And in this parable, he returns to his central theme, the increasing theme of his life and of his ministry in chapter 13 and verses 10 and 11 where it says that uh, he says to them, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given unto you. Jesus' central focus was about the kingdom, the kingdom of God's rule breaking into the world and eventually overcoming all things to accomplish God's will. And so Jesus here is teaching them about the kingdom. Conflict is arising And he's laying down a truth here about what's going to take place in the world as time goes on. So let's dig into this for a moment today and see what he's trying to teach us. I just have two points I want you to understand, kind of get the big picture for life again in a troubled world. First of all, Jesus begins by mentioning here a sower going out to sow. And talking about this sower going out to sow, he is introducing to us The fact that there is a supernatural process that is now being unleashed in the world. This is an agrarian image with which they would have been familiar. Almost all of them either had a garden or grew crops or worked as tenant farmers for others who owned property. And so this would have been very familiar to them. And in their farming techniques, different from ours, the ground would be turned over a bit. And then the seeds would be planted not in rows as we did when I planted as a little boy, but they were broadcast. Sort of think about if you're uh, sowing a yard today and you put, uh, you know, grass seed and a spreader and you turn it or you push it along and it throws the seed out. It broadcasts the seed. Well, that's the type of, of seed planting that is taking place. So they would turn the ground a bit, they would broadcast the seed, then they would turn the ground again. And in time, the seeds would germinate, the plants would emerge, different effects would be seen in relationship to the plants. Now, the sower here, obviously, centrally, in the beginning, refers to Jesus. Jesus is talking about his ministry. The sower went forth to sow. But he's also alluding to the others in the future who will be the fruit bearers, his followers, his disciples, who will also sow the seed themselves. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians, where he talks about, I planted And Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. And so the church is the one, the group of people who continue to plant the seed. But the emphasis on the parable here is not on the sower, but rather it's on the soils, which we'll come to in a moment. But what is important here in relationship to the initial sower of the seed, Jesus, is the looming question that's going to become clearer soon. And that is, what's going to take place, Jesus, when you leave? When they kill you, Jesus here is saying that I've started something that's not going to stop. 
Jesus is teaching us here that with his coming to the world, something has been unleashed in the world regarding the future of everything related to this earth and all of its inhabitants. That is, the kingdom, the final rule of God, is now breaking into the world. He inaugurated it, and it's going to now move forth in the world until the end of time, carried forth by those who initially responded to him, and it will be carried forth in the same fashion of akin to a farmer casting seed out into the world. Now, the seed is the Word of God. It is the Word of the Gospel. Or, as referred to here in chapter 13, verse 19, it is the Word of the Kingdom. When anyone hears the message about the Kingdom, but it is the message related to the Gospel, to all of the casting forth of the full Word of God about man, about his fall, about Christ's coming, about His death, burial, and resurrection, about the call to repent and believe. It's the message of the gospel. And so with the coming of Jesus until the end of time, a supernatural process, sometimes imperceptible to a degree, sort of like a lowly farmer out somewhere today in the Middle East casting his seed. We don't really notice that, but he's casting his seed. And something's going to come forth. Jesus is saying that almost imperceptibly, now this process is going to take place, sort of like that smallest seed that was planted. Remember, and it grows up that great tree in which the birds, Jesus said, will come and, and nest. It's just a slow process. And so this word is being unleashed into the world. It's going to be carried forth. And so this word that's being unleashed is a powerful word. It brings eternal change. The seed has supernatural power to change the very soil, the very people of the earth. And that's why the writer of Hebrews, when talking about the power of God's Word, said in Hebrews 4.12, he says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's Word is powerful. God's Word brings life. God's Word also brings judgment. And so as someone has said, quote, unlike the words of men, the Word of God has life in it. And that life can be imparted to those who believe. Perhaps you come in here today, and down at the level of where you live, in your personal life, you feel like you're in a world with no hope. A world that seems dead to you, dark and empty. And perhaps you have problems right now in which you really don't see a way to overcome those you don't see ways to change. Perhaps you're in bondage to some habit or substance. Maybe you feel backed up against the wall by your circumstances. Perhaps you have concerns about the future of the world, the future for your children that you're raising, or the grandchildren that you adore. And I admit these times seem confusing, increasingly dangerous and ominous. But Jesus is asserting for us here that there is something much larger taking place that will prevail in the end. His word is going forth. The seed is being cast. And this powerful seed will accomplish God's will. And so instead of despair, we as God's followers, followers of Jesus, we should have hope for a sower has gone forth to sow with a seed that changes the world in accordance with the purposes of God Almighty. And that is to save and deliver a people who are living in this world with all sorts of threats, dangers, and problems. Of drawing a people to himself and creating a new humanity in light of a new heaven and new earth. And so as I read this parable, this is a parable for me as a disciple that I can draw upon to help me keep perspective in relationship to my personal problems, my struggles, my fears, and in relationship to the problems of the world on a grand scale. A sower has gone forth to sow with supernatural seed that will accomplish God's purposes. You see, since the point of when Jesus began his ministry, this is a grand, large, ultimate thing that is taking place in the world. A new kingdom is being built as the seed is sown, and people make ultimate responses to it. And nothing, listen, that is taking place in this world, good or evil, is more important than this slowly advancing kingdom. We must learn to keep our eye on the ball. 
And we of all people should know what the ball is. Keep our eye on the ball. And so that does not mean that there are other things in this world that are not important or that we should not be concerned about them. It just means that nothing else is of ultimate concern. You know, some wars are just, and I'm glad that they were fought. We memorialize those who fought and died on behalf of our nation tomorrow. We have red, white, and blue flowers up here uh, today in relationship to that. Those were important things, like World War II. And it's right to memorialize the dead. And these things were important. But listen, the types of government and economies that prevail in this world are not of ultimate importance. What is important is that the seed is advancing under all types of governments, all types of economies, all types of problems. The seed is still going forth into the world. One of the major flashpoints in our world right now, in our own hemisphere, is in Venezuela, a country of 32 million people that lies on the most northern part of South America. Riots are taking place in this socialist nation that was ruled by Hugo Chavez and now since he has died by Nicolas Maduro. They were both, one was, one still is, dictators. Their Supreme Court has basically uh, put the legislature out of business. They have taken the arms out of the hands of the people a couple of years ago. And Venezuela provides a a good example of many of the negative consequences of socialism or progressivism. And now with the drop in oil prices, the country is rich in oil, people are literally hunting for dogs and cats and pigeons to avoid starvation. That's how bad it is in Venezuela. That's why they're rioting in the streets. People are hungry. Yet, as always in the case in a socialist, communist, progressive state, those in the party leadership small minority of the privileged are, are living greatly while the general mass of people are suffering. And it's certainly a country for which we should pray. But as bad as it is, and as much as I believe that a democratic system with a free economy is the best arrangement for human prospering, I believe in that. I vote toward that as best I can. I want that to prevail and last in my nation, even though I sometimes feel that it is under threat Nevertheless, the most important thing that's taking place in Venezuela right now is not what's being seen on the streets there, but what's being seen as the sower is going forth to sow. And people are responding to Jesus in Venezuela, as people are responding to Jesus here in our own culture. That's what's most important. People are responding to the gospel. Even in the Middle East, where it is illegal to talk about Jesus, people are hearing about Jesus and responding to the seed that is working its power. In fact, when things like this happen, it may even sometimes have a greater effect for the seed in the midst of the chaos, even as it has in Cuba, where over the past decades, a mighty revival has taken place in Cuba under Castro. The Castro brothers are evil. Communism is an evil system that has killed Millions and millions of people in the 20th century and even into the 21st century. Several years ago, uh, Castro made a ruling that uh, churches could not be any bigger than like 50 people and took away a lot of the access to public buildings. And you know what happened in relationship to that? A great house church movement has taken place in Cuba. And While he tried to shut down the gospel, what happened was the seed spread and has even done greater effect in Cuba. And hopefully as the gospel really goes forth and takes root, freedom for the people of Cuba in relationship to how they live their lives, whether or not they're Christians or not, where the gospel really goes forth, it brings freedom and liberty and brings down those types of walls. And I pray that it does. So in our world where we see threatening things, perplexing things, either on the macro level like oppressive governments or in events that draw near like ISIS, Islamic-inspired killers, which Islam is just an example of a movement that grew up from the rejection of and the hardening toward the seed. Muhammad was hardened toward the seed. He rejected the seed. 
You and I need to maintain our perspective in that the sower has gone forth to sow, and his ultimate purposes will be accomplished even in the midst of all of the tumult of the fallen world, even if I have to suffer, even if I'm maimed, even if I lose everything that I have. The sower has gone forth to sow, and there is something ultimate that is taking place in this world. And so I can have rest and peace in my life in knowing that God's will shall be done. And I don't have to be the one that's ultimately responsible for that. He's ultimately responsible. I participate, but he'll accomplish what he's going to accomplish. The sower has gone forth to sow. So every time you hear about an atrocity in the world, where you hear about Coptic Christians being killed and slaughtered on a bus, the next time we hear about a bombing, the next time we see the tumult and rioting in governments. The next time we see famine in the world, always remember the sower has gone forth to sow. And it's never stopping. And it's accomplishing the purposes of the great God to create a people unto himself, ultimately leading to a new heaven and new earth. That's when the peace ultimately will come. Then secondly, while you and I should maintain faith and hope in what Jesus is doing, maintain that perspective that the sower has gone forth to sow, we need to be reminded that while this seed is being sown in the world, and we're living here in the world, this story is for those of us who are living in the world right now in relationship to the seed. And secondly, this seed that is sown provokes response. This seed that's being cast out in the world It provokes response. That is, as this seed goes out into the world and its power is unleashed because it is supernatural, supernatural things happen. The seed provokes response. Ultimately, there can be no neutrality in relationship to the seed. There's no uh, middle ground in relationship to the seed. In summary of the point, in keeping with God's sovereign purposes, the seed ultimately gives life and light to some, the true disciples, while it reveals and even hardens the hearts of others who end up rejecting the Lord and the life He desires to give. You'll notice in chapter 13, verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. It appears that most don't. It appears that the vast majority don't hear. The vast majority don't respond. As I said earlier, the sower is alluded to, that is alluded to in this parable, and then phased in the background, Jesus and those who will be sowing in the future. The seed that is sown out in the world, it is constant. It is ultimately powerful, and it produces effects. But what is central, and yet what is variable in the story, are the soils. And ultimately, This parable of Jesus forces the question upon me to ask for myself, what type of soil am I? Here we see crowds gathering around Jesus and his movement. You'll notice it says, and again in verse 2, such large crowds gathered. And crowds are often attracted to investigate this light. But crowds should never impress us. They never impressed Jesus. For you're going to see that in three out of four cases here, the seed does not ultimately bear fruit. Only in one out of the four does the seed produce fruit. And so, here we are reminded then of Jesus' words spoken earlier to another crowd in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. So Jesus here says the sower's gone out to sow, and he talks about four types of soil, and it forces the question upon us, what type of soil am I? This is a process of supernatural that's taking place. This is the biggest thing in the world that's ultimately taking place. This kingdom is breaking into the world. This is the biggest story in the world, even though the world isn't covering it. The sower has gone forth to sow. And this seed that is supernatural is falling on the different types of soils that are out there. And Jesus here talks about four in relationship to this ultimate seed. 
First of all, Jesus says that some of the seed, if you go down to verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. He begins by saying that some of the seed that is cast forth, it falls along the path. What he's talking about here are the footpaths in those gardens. You know, when we planted gardens in rows, you'd walk between the rows and hoe the weeds out, right? Or cut the okra when you began to cut it. And that was always itchy stuff, wasn't it? I love okra to eat it, but I hated cutting okra. I know some of you, how many of you picked cotton in your life? So, yeah, that's a joy, isn't it, to do that, right? But in their world, there were footpaths through the gardens where people were walking, and that ground was hardened. In the perimeter of the land, the garden, where people would walk, that ground was hardened. And that's what Jesus is talking about, the seed that falls on the path. It is packed down by foot traffic. This ground has not been turned. It is hard soil, and the, the seed never really penetrates into this soil. And so Jesus says, these are people who hear the message, and they don't understand it. What he is talking about here is they don't understand it because they really have no desire to. And the devil accommodates their resistance. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, about the work of the devil. He says that, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, obviously, this passage is one that Jesus certainly asserts here, the sovereignty of God in relationship to the parable being given to some will not hear. But the point is, this is also human responsibility. And these are people who hear the message, but their hearts are hard. And they don't respond at all, really. As a matter of fact, they grow harder toward the message. That's why sometimes we see people go violent toward the message, as they grew violent toward Jesus. That's why the Bible says that when you and I sow and cast the seed in the world, that we're an aroma of Christ to people. To those who are being saved, we're like a sweet, pleasing aroma. But to those who are not, we're like a stench in their nostrils. So this is the idea of the person that receives the seed on the path. You know, in every crowd sits the skeptic, the mocker, the arrogant defier of their creator and his Messiah who came to save. That's the hard heart Jesus is talking about. And I don't know what brought you in here today. Maybe you've come in with resistance to the message, resistance to the seed. Maybe some thing you're bitter about in relationship to God or His people or what's taking place in your life. Do not let your heart be so hard that the seed cannot even penetrate to you today. Perhaps God has brought you here today to give you the opportunity for the seed to drop upon your life. And He's trying to penetrate your heart. What type of soil are you? Dio Moody was the Billy Graham of the 19th century. Many of his methods Billy Graham picked up and used later in his crusades. And one time Dio Moody was entering into the auditorium to preach. Big uh, arena, thousands of people, and he's going in, an usher handed him a, a note, a piece of paper. So Moody took it, he thought somebody was trying to communicate something to him, and he walked on up, got ready to preach, and he opened up the note, and it had one word on it. It said fool, F-O-O-L. And so Moody, when he got up to preach, he was ready for the task. He had a different sermon in mind, but when he got that message, he stood up and said, I've been handed a memo which contains the single word fool. He said, this is most unusual. He said, because I've often received uh, written letters and the person's forgotten to sign their name. <laughs> but he said, this is the first time I've ever heard of anyone who signed his name and then forgot to write the letter. And he changed his message that day and he preached 
Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Some people's hearts are very, very hard. Jesus said, the sower's gone forth to sow. What is your heart like? The second soil he refers to here is the rocky soil. He says that some of the seed fell on rocky soil. You go down to verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is another response. You know, much of the soil in that part of the world is filled with rocks. The top soil is a very thin layer on top of rock. And so when the, the seed is sown, it doesn't penetrate very deeply. And so it warms up pretty quickly when the ground warms up on the surface. And because of that, plants emerge quickly. But since they cannot run their roots down deeply because of the rock, they soon wither and die. And Jesus says that some hearts are like this soil. They seem to receive the word with joy. You'll notice in the text he said some people receive the word with joy. I mean, they shout in the baptismal pool. They receive the word with joy. But he says they do not last. They do not last. They seem to receive the word, but they don't have roots in Jesus. It, uh, these would be the type of people that if Jesus gave an invitation, he's sitting out in the boat, and they're up in this little amphitheater, natural amphitheater, they'd be the ones that run down to the shore and say, I want Jesus. Yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. I'll give you everything, Jesus. Count me in. But when they return to living life and meet resistance due to loyalty to Jesus, their heart reveals that they're not ultimately loyal to Jesus. They've not really set down roots in Jesus. And they fall away because they're not willing to pay the price, the cost of being his disciple. In a world in which Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you also. Then there's another type of soil that's mentioned here. He talks about seed among the thorns. Jesus says that some seed fell among the thorns. What is this soil like? He says that this is like someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. That means ultimately it doesn't produce fruit in their life. They hear the word, they seem to respond with new life, and yet over time, the blight of the world wins out. And it's like a disease, a blight upon the, upon the planet of their life. It kills them. It withers out whatever life seemed to have been there. And Jesus says here that it chokes the word. You know, one of the saddest verses in the Bible reminds us of the fact that you can walk with Jesus, even be a leader in the ministry of Jesus and appear like you really are one of his but over time the blight of the world wins out and you end up falling away one of the saddest verses in the Bible we read about a man like that is 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 when we read about a man who was in the ministry with the apostle Paul he traveled with the apostle Paul he was part of the church planting ministry, the missionary movement in the life of the ancient world. And here we find Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, where Paul is in prison. And so everything is coming against Paul. He's going to be tested, and he's going to die, but he's going to be faithful. He's going to say, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. He's true, a true plant. But you'll notice he says, writing in prison here, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, he says, uh, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. That's a verse that should make our hearts weep over Demas. Because he loved this world. Now, when Jesus, talking about this soil, he, he alludes to the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, choking out the life of the plant like a thorn. Well, we need to understand the thorns are not confined to those things. 
Ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is that over time, our hearts are revealed in relationship to what type of soul we are in the everyday things of life, in the things that we have to deal with in life in that way. And Jesus says that some people are like this, I will go this far with you, Jesus. I want to follow you, and I'll go this far with you, Jesus, but, but I can't go there. I can't, I can't move in this direction with you, Jesus, for whatever reason it may be. So some would say, I won't give up a relationship that falls outside of the bounds according to your word, Jesus. Or I won't let my Christianity affect how I use my money. Or I won't give up this vice or change my moral behavior, even though Jesus says, and Jesus says this both in the Old and the New Testament, because Jesus is the author through the Spirit of all 66 books of our Bible. It is all His Word. To say, Jesus, I, I, I can't go here and giving up this vice or changing my moral behavior. I had someone say to me not too long ago about a relative they were concerned with, an older relative, and this person has made a profession of faith. They say they're a Christian, but this person was asking me to pray for their relative. And they said, you know, my, my relative, they won't, uh, they say they're a follower of Jesus, but they won't gather for worship. They say to me, well, my time is my time. And he said, they won't talk about their money in relationship to Jesus because uh, this person says, well, you know, my money is my money. You won't let Jesus involved in the, be involved in that. And he said, I'm concerned about my relative. And I thought, well, you're right to be concerned. For they seem to have missed the transformative power of the seed. And even though they may not have committed the open blasphemous rejection of Jesus, you reject Jesus in relationship to how you live and don't live. It proves what's in the heart. And Paul talked about this in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 17 through 19 about people that he was broken over in his ministry when he says in Philippians 3 in relationship to some professing Christians he says uh, join together and follow in my example brothers and sisters and just as you have us as a model keep your eyes on those who live as we do for as I've often told you now Paul must have often told him this because it comes up a lot something they had to deal with. Whereas I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He's talking here not about the pagans in Philippi. He's talking about the people who've been professing Christians. But he's saying, no, the soil of their life proves they're those who, who don't have the life. It's been choked out by the thorns. They love the world rather than loving Christ and putting him first. Their mind is set on earthly things. But then finally, Jesus turns to that fourth soil, the one that produces fruit, the one that the life takes hold and grows in, when he says that some of the seed fell on good soil, verse 23. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. He's not saying just comprehends it, but they understand it, they respond to it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. These are the true disciples. Now, when he says here 160 or 30 times, people debate, is this like a bumper crop? He's just saying this is normal ways that crops produce. Some produce more, some produce others. Some are born with different types of abilities and followers of Christ and the impact of their life in following me may be greater than the impact of some other lives, but in keeping with how I've made them and who they are and how I've saved them, they're going to produce somewhat of a crop. 30, 60, or 100 fold. And so he is saying here they're going to produce fruit. 
What is the fruit that we're going to produce? Well, one writer summarized it this way, just drawing upon scriptural allusions to the fruit of a Christian. Fruit is the test of true salvation, Matthew 7, 16. This would include holiness, Romans 6, 22. Christian character, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, remember. Good works, Colossians 1, 10. Winning others to Christ, Romans 1, 13. Sharing what we have, Romans 15, 25 through 28. And praising God, Hebrews 13, 15. And I would add that this would be fruit that remains. These are people who persevere in this. They don't fall away. They increasingly move in the direction to become ultimately the plant, the life that Christ desires for them to be. And so I would add to this as well that the fruit that remains, they persevere in that. It also reminds us that the things we do in the world then down to the small details are important, but ultimately only in light of the fact that they are demonstrating fruit growing out of our being his followers. And by following him, such as I right, love my enemies, such as I do good to those who persecute me, I do that. And it matters at that level because it helps me to grow more into what Christ would have me to be as he's transforming my character. But it's also evidence to that other person that there's a new order breaking into the world. There's something new, a new type of power that's in this person. And so it has a witnessing effect to it as well. And so those things matter. They point to that ultimate kingdom that's already breaking into the world because it's broken into my heart and into my life. I was talking with some in my family over the weekend about the survivalist movement, particularly among the super wealthy in our country. They are afraid of what's going to happen, not just from being attacked from outside, but inside the nation. So, I don't know if you heard in the news this past week or so, this comes out in different ways, different uh, statistics, but this past week I heard that half of Americans cannot come up with $400 on a given day. We hear about so many senior adults entering into retirement with nothing saved. And there's a fear that with the world beginning to wobble, something taking place, a bubble in the economy, another war, whatever, that we find ourselves in a point of people beating on our doors if you're a wealthy person and so what these people are doing is they are survivalists and they got the money to do it in a different way they're not just storing dried food and water but out in Kansas in Concordia Kansas they've um, started turning former missile silos you know multiple story things under the ground into fortified bunkers and so if you want to buy one um, you can buy one for $3 million, the whole floor, or you can buy part of a floor for about $1.5 million. If you want the penthouse, uh, it's $4.5 million. But uh, if, you, if you buy that, you get a five-year supply of freeze-dried food, vegetables and fish that are bred underground, water and air treatment that uh, comes into you, 750,000-gallon reserve of drinking water, Generators and turbines that build up power reserves. They also have things such as um, amenities uh, for cross-training, for those of you who are into that. Um, Medical support, a community swimming pool, a dog walking park, a rock climbing wall. The world is falling apart, but let's climb rock walls. Uh, A theater and a general store, as well as a jail for anybody who misbehaves. What type of a soil is that? You know, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, whether we are rich or poor, and if things fall apart in the world, the true followers, the good soil, would be those who don't run and hide, would share and suffer, would open up our homes, would give away what we have if necessary. We do like Lottie Moon did in China when the people around her were suffering and she was a missionary and they were starving and she starved herself to death so they could eat. That's what true fruit looks like. 
And you know, we would look at that opportunity where that suffering is a chance to sow more seed, wouldn't we? Sow more seed in this world that is passing away. Love not the world, neither the things in the world, right? For this world is passing away with all of its lusts. I want to ask you this morning in closing, because Jesus told this story to provoke us to ask the question of ourselves, what type of soil are you? Is your heart hard? Maybe in God's providence, He's allowed you to be in here today to hear this message because He does love you. And He's showing His grace and mercy to allow you even to hear a message like this to say to you, I want you to be that good soil. And maybe His Spirit has brought you here to work in your heart today. Is your heart hard right now? Or are you one of those who the, uh, the seed has been planted in your life, but you're like that, that, that uh, path where it goes down and it, it, it germinated quickly, life seemed to come forth, but there's pressure building up right now, and it's costing you something to follow Jesus? Are you thinking about walking away because of the pressure of being a disciple of Jesus? Are you like that, that soil that's among the thorns? And the seed was planted and it sprang up. And like Demas, you've been, you've been walking along saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus. But for you, it is not the pressure of the world of people checking you because you're a Christian. But for you, it is the blight of the world has rested upon you. And you're drawn to the world again. You're drawn to living life the way you want to live life. And so you're increasingly crossing lines again. You should not be crossing. You are being drawn to the world and its values. You're being slowly eroded by the blight of the world that you've allowed to rest on the leaves of your life. You're a divided person in your loyalty. Would that describe you today? It does... This text talks about responsibility. You can respond and say, no, I, I, Jesus, I come to you and I desire to be that good soil by your grace that I will follow you now into that eternal kingdom. That I want to be that person producing fruit, focused on the future kingdom, growing in your love and your worship of Christ, more concerned about planting more seed than the other lesser things of this world. Are you that good soil? We are going to have an invitation today. And it's an opportunity for you and for me to declare, perhaps for the first time, some of you, that I want to receive Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and my Savior, and I want Him to produce a bumper crop. I want to have eternal life. Maybe today you need to call upon Christ for the first time to be your Lord and your Savior. Or maybe as we've talked today, Jesus had pricked your heart to say, you're looking like that soil in the thorns. You said, I'm willing to go this far with you, Jesus, but no, no farther. I, I'm not willing to lay this down or pick this up for you, Jesus, because I, I love things about myself and about the world, the way, well, the way life is for me right now. It's time for you to say, no, I, I'm not the soil among the thorns. I'm the good soil. Maybe you're here and the Lord has spoken to your heart and you realize you're like that rocky ground. And you said, I want to follow Jesus, but you begin to find out that, well, that doesn't necessarily get you a job promotion to be a vocal follower of Jesus. It doesn't necessarily open doors for you sometimes, right? It doesn't necessarily make you popular in your family anymore, even with your mate, But are you willing to say, Jesus, I don't, I don't care what the price is. I'm the good soil. Are you here today with a really hard heart? I pray for you. I pray the Spirit of God would open your heart. He's the only one who can. And if your heart is really hard, 
And there's just the least inkling of saying, I really, I really want to change. I just don't know how. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to open your heart, to give you ears to hear, eyes to see, the ability to understand. Just make that first step today if you can't make any other step. Say, Lord, I don't want to have a hard heart. Help me find my way forward. Father, thank you for this text. And thank you for, Lord, it's wonderful, comforting perspective on a world that has problems, that you are at work. The sower continues to go forth to sow. And God help us to stay focused on that wonderful truth, that liberty of knowing that you will accomplish your good purposes, that out of the evil of this world you're working good, Sometimes imperceptibly as the gospel is heard and people respond, churches are birthed. Father, I pray that each of us today would hear this message as well at the personal level. To have that desire and the will empowered by your spirit to say, I'm the good soil. I'm the good soil. If there are those, Lord, who are not there yet, help them. Those with hearts that may be hard, soften their hearts as you did mine in your mercy and in your grace. For those, Lord, who started but, Lord, have run into opposition and are discouraged, have stepped back, help them to step forth again and say, Jesus, I'm willing, as you said, to take up my cross and follow you. For those who have the blight of the world resting upon them. And they have a divided mind and heart right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, help them. Help them to say, I don't want to be thorny ground. But to move and say, today, I am, Lord, one that is taking the steps to be the good soil. So, Lord, we pray now you would have your way through your Spirit. Lord, as the seed has been planted and watered along the way in our lives, it is your Spirit who brings life, so I pray you would do so in keeping with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.